You are listening to The Wheel Nerds with Chuck and Todd. Hi, and welcome to Wheel Nerds. This is episode 43. I'm Chuck. And I'm Todd. We're going to be talking about motorcycles. And skip Okay, you see this big book over here? Uh-huh. This is the list of shit you're not allowed to do. What, I, Guess what I'm adding to it? Scat singing? Yes. <laughs> I need more paper. Skibop. Aruba. Welcome to another season of the Wheel Nerds. Dun, 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 dun. dun. See, that, that's better than the scat. Dun. Dun. If anyone out there does, you know, freelance music that they want to send to us to use as bumper music or just so I can avoid this... That would be great. Even if it's just you and your Casio, it's got to be better than, than this. <laughs> Somebody. <laughs> I'm begging you. Please. Please help me. <laughs> There's no help for you, Chuck. I know. There's no help. Why is there no help for me, Todd? Because I'm let's, here let's, every week. Not just that. Let's let's start why there's no help for There's me. no help for you because you ride that freaking mule. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I watched Fireballs for an hour and a half coming out of the back of that thing. That is, oh, man. That that has been the worst it's ever run. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've got whiplash. My neck still hurts mm-hmm. from it constantly dying and restarting at 70 miles an hour. Well, what's really going on is you're you're going and it starts doing that kind of thing. Yeah. And then it basically you're doing like autoerotic push starting yes. where the momentum you already have is causing it to push start and start back up and then it goes for a while and then it and dies it, again. And for a while I mean like Two, three seconds. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the funny thing is, is those explosions are so loud you can feel them. <laughs> that one little town we went through. They, they from... will be telling stories <laughs> for years. This guy came through and it sounded like he was just shooting up the place. I'm surprised no one came out with a gun. I mean, this is Utah. Yeah, it's a good point. It was a small town in the middle of nowhere. Real small town. So I, I, I think it's got to be the ignition system. Oh, God. It's got to be. Because you've got gas coming in, so it's getting gas. Yeah, because there's gas exploding. Because there's gas exploding in fireballs. <laughs> I think the bill was just shooting for you. It was, it was I, gunning at you. Dude, I don't know. I think it was gunning for you. Every time you go to pass a truck, blah. Oh, God, man. That's right. Every time I was trying to pass a truck on the way home, it would just... It got worse. So listeners who are worried that Chuck might sell the Buell, don't worry. The jokes that write themselves are still here. <laughs> I can't sell that thing in good conscience with it running like that. You can't sell that thing. <laughs> I can't. Here endeth the sentence. No one is that stupid. Someone. Someone did offer to trade you a oh, 250 yeah. for it. Yeah. Do, I think you might want to take it. Straight up for it. That's right. You might want to take do that. We, do we still have his number? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Better find it. <laughs> do it before he gets a smart or smartens up. <laughs> What would he do with it, though? It's not like, how would he get it home? It would be an interesting conversation piece. <laughs> Convert it to a coffee table. I've, I've got, well, you know, uh, I've ordered an ignition coil. I've ordered uh, wires and I've ordered plugs. Well, um, we shall see. Yeah, and that, that's funny, too. You know, I put in an order for the ignition coil. It's all, like, in stock, you know, can ship next day kind oh, of good. thing. Yep. I get email notification. We have to go to the warehouse. And the, the guy jumps on the horse and he's... <laughs> Somewhere a telegraph is going off. <laughs> a lonely warehouse watchman's like, what? <laughs> what was that? Why is paper coming out of that thing? What does it mean? He runs past where they stored the Ark of the Covenant <laughs> to where they keep the Beale spare parts. 
And puts them back on the donkey, which then carries them back. There are top men working on the bule. <laughs> top men. <laughs> and by that, I mean us. <laughs> all of those things are easy to swap out. The mm-hmm. coil, the plugs, yeah. the wires, whatever. It's all we'll one. We'll find out. And it pretty much lifts out the top. And if it's not that system, then something is not telling the ignition to go, at which point you're screwed and we dump it. You know, it's got the race ECM in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Do you have the old ECM? No. Can you get one? Can the guy... <laughs> the guy opens the box with the ECM, his face immediately melts off. <laughs> Close your eyes! Don't look at it! <laughs> that reminds me, actually. Speaking what? of faces melting... They're remaking Total Recall without Arnie. <laughs> How can you possibly make that movie without him? It just doesn't work. Get the chopper! Give the people air, Kogagan! The worst part about it is they're going to use Colin Farrell in his place. <laughs> what? I know. Can you imagine Colin Farrell lying on the Martian landscape going, Maybe just for that part in the movie, they'll just cut the old Arnie scene back in. Arnie. Like, wow, his face is getting really deformed by that. <laughs> I was making that noise when the Buell was dying on the side of the road. <laughs> um, total Recall with Colin Farrell? It's not going to work. Uh, he's got that weird molester goatee. Wrong accent. That too. <laughs> he can't do an Arnie. How do you remake? The- oh my God, they're remaking everything. They're remaking RoboCop. <laughs> And the, the bit I was reading about it today was, this time, you can see his eyes. That's what we're adding to it. That's, that's the, they just, they're actually drawing cartoon eyes on <laughs> That's their signature move. You'll see his eyes. No more just acting with his jaw. <laughs> wow. Thank you're, God. You're taking away everything that makes him the robot part. Are they going to remake Torque, you think? Oh, God, my hope. <laughs> we can dream. We'll have a cameo if they do. <laughs> They'll just zip, zip by us at 200 miles an hour or there in our adventure stuff. <laughs> Damn, Billy! We, we're going to need something faster to keep up with them. Oh? Yes. Something like, oh, I don't know. Maybe a 2002 Kawasaki ZRX 1200R. Ooh. It's a classic naked bike. <laughs> this would be our classified of the week. We have a few, actually. Yeah, this doozies one come, this week. This one comes from Joel. Just under 28,000 miles. This is my wife's bike, so it gets, air quotes, babied. She rides about 1,000 miles per year. She loves it, but don't ride it wait, enough. Wait. Yes? I'm sorry. It's a 2002? Uh-huh. She rides 1,000 miles per year? Mm-hmm, about. And how many miles does it have? Uh, 28,000 miles. This bike can travel through time. <laughs> <laughs> It's what? Fast. It's very fast. It's time traveling. <laughs> and it has a bunch of crap, blah, 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 boring shit. Very compact bike for 1200 You will not, not be disappointed. <laughs> what? Let's do that again. Very compact bike for 1200 You will not, not be disappointed. I believe him. <laughs> he has mastered newspeak. Wow. <laughs> it travels through time. You'll not, not be disappointed. Oh, he says it again. Bigger. <laughs> No, money down. <laughs> wow. Okay. Test rides with cash in hand only, smiley face. Well, at least he's willing to let people ride it. Plus, summer is fast approaching, and you don't want to be without this bike. <laughs> this bike. It travels through time. You can go back to winter. <laughs> well, that's uh, that's a thing, isn't that's it? That's a thing. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, what if you don't want a rocket? What if you want something else? Like what? Like this ad from Jay Shannon. 
It's a custom 2005 Softail Harley that he took as payment from someone that owed money. So whoever is going to buy it is going to get one hell of a deal. This, by the way, is in all caps. Yeah. You'll just have to make the voice in your own head. Uh, and to render this next part, uh, you're, you're going to accompany me? Yeah. So th- there's these little, like, asterisks everywhere between the things to, like, separate them. Yeah. And I couldn't figure out what it is, and I finally figured it out. It's beatboxing. You're supposed to beatbox to hear it in your head. Are, are you ready? Yep. Let's do it. All right. Go. <laughs> what a head turner. <laughs> 2005 Harley. <laughs> Softail Custom. <laughs> 13 Ford Motor with only 7,000 miles. <laughs> Custom paint. Uh, let's see. I am open to offers and trades, but please, no services. Ladies, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's not – that part wasn't there. But, yeah, he, he no services. So you can't mow his lawn for this bike. Make an offer. So what he says a uh, $20,000 bike and he wants 13000 or best offer. Mm-hmm. You could be the guy in the sports, sir. But at this price, you could be – Leader of the pack. So when I read this ad, you know what I'm reading. <laughs> What's that? Please take this useless bike I stupidly accepted in place of cash, and now my wife is making me suck. <laughs> no, certainly not. <laughs> it's a pretty choppery looking thing. My question is, is his wife the one doing the beatboxing? <laughs> That'd be sort of cool. Eh, she's on a Gixxer in the previous ad. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. This is a couple. Yeah. Well, there's uh-huh. one other ad we totally have to do this week. Okay. This one's from our friend Roland. It's a very fast Gixxer 1100. Not stolen. Not stolen. <laughs> Street legal drag bike. It is a fully billed 89 Gixxer's 1100, at least 1300 cc. Now, if not bigger, is very low miles. 2,000 miles not stolen. On build at 7,000 miles. It's all very clean. Shines like no other to see it. And <gasps> person in his aftermarket is awesome. Carbs and handlebars and back suspension and Fox rider easers. Very fast and fragile. Fuel system is very cleaned out. Does not need a new battery. Maybe starter next time it ran great through tires of trade, but now some sun cracks. Maybe a few other things too need to sell. ASAP, something is wrong with my phone and I can only text so please text me $1,000 OBO thanks wait $1,000 OBO <laughs> it's very fast it's an 1100 which is as many as 13 what are they doing pouring protein shakes into the tank to make it grow truly the math today is weak <laughs> it's $1,000 $1,000 OBO I'll give you 900 1100 that doesn't work at all <laughs> uh okay oh, say, so here's my question Need to sell ASAP. Something is wrong with my phone and I can only text, so please text me. This is almost certainly not a trap. <laughs> Bring money. <laughs> yeah. Bring $1,000 out to somewhere and you'll totally own this bike. It'll be great. This yeah. isn't a trap. Don't tell anyone you're You'll never coming. hear my voice, so you'll never actually know what I sound like. <laughs> and I can hit you on the back of the head. Well, at least, you know, he's not planning to kill you. Hmm. There's that. Now, okay. Would you rather ride this bike or my Buell? I'll go with this. Damn it. It's as much as 1300 <laughs> That's more than your Buell. Your Buell is what, about uh, 596 most of the time nowadays? Shut up. <laughs> it m- kind of fired the rear cylinder. Now and again. Now and again, just to clear. Could be it was firing the rear and not the front. Could be. One of those cylinders was certainly not, not firing. Makes sense. So the default thing that a Buell cylinder does is not fire. It Not not fires. No, no, no. It not fires. It not not runs. It's fine. <laughs> it was a good day. It didn't not run today. <laughs> so what would be the scariest thing you could imagine for an interview, Chuck? If they realized I wasn't wearing pants? 
They already know that, Chuck. Oh, damn it. I was um, thinking it would be really scary if someone we've been making fun of for months came on the show. Really? Yeah. Ooh. That would be terrible. I mean, someone we continually pick on them and their products? Yeah. Yeah, someone someone who we have mercilessly dragged their good name back and forth through the mud. And they would come on the show. And, well, you bought one of their toilet paper holders. It's free. <laughs> it Gift came, with purchase. Came with a free interview card. Hello? Is this Toy Tech? Uh, yeah. How I have, a, I have a tragic loss of brushed metal in my life. Can you help me? <laughs> you got it. Have you heard us talk about Toy Tech at all? Uh, no. We're on with Paul Gillian. He's the general manager of TourTech USA. We got TourTech to talk to us. On the show. <laughs> My hey. pleasure, guys. Great. How you doing? Just survived right. Seattle winter and uh, looking forward to some riding weather and uh, the upcoming riding season. All right. Tell us a little bit about who you are. I mean, you're the head cheese of TourTech US. What are, you, what are you riding? Well, I have spent most of the last year riding an F800GS when we're doing adventure riding and then uh, riding a Husqvarna TE450. Ooh, exotic. What do you think of the F800GS? You know, I'm in love with it. I, I have really enjoyed the bike. The only real complaint I had early on is when we started riding a little faster off-road, the suspension wasn't quite keeping up, so I, I put some upgrades on it with Oleans, and now it's absolutely perfect. It's a, a lot of fun to ride. How's the, uh, the power response? Do you feel like it's got some get-up to it? or? You know, off-road, it's got plenty of power. When we're, when we're on gravel roads and things like that, and, and even buzzing around town, I, I think it's perfect. I can see a person wanting more power when you're on the freeway or at, or at faster speeds and you're trying to get around a semi or something. It could certainly use a little bit more power. But the trade-off for me, I spend most of the time trying to ride off-road and mm. on gravel and less time on freeways. I like the back roads and things like that, and it's really well-suited for that. So I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. Cool. I'm really curious about the F800GS because it's it's sort of a possible candidate for me as a next bike. Have you ridden it? <laughs> no, we Everybody haven't had a chance. We need to. Every time what? we tr- we get into the showroom and start rubbing up on the bike, they they kick us out. They bring out the spray bottles. <laughs> Understood. One of the the things that I've I've heard some of the BMW dealerships say is, you know, what type type of riding do you do and things like that. And if you're doing 50 percent or more on gravel, dirt, off road, the F800 is a really good choice. If you tend to do more pavement and long distance riding two up, the R1200 GS is really tough to beat. So that's kind of Makes what sense. we typically tell people. Okay, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at too. I'm, I'm more in the the eighty to ninety percent on road, yeah. you know, going places and going off road or you know into snow. I think it's a good snow bike. I've ridden it in five, six inches of snow up in the mountains, and it actually does pretty good with a set of knobbies. But if you're doing that much street, and I've seen that the bikes that you guys ride, you'd probably be happier with something with a little more ponies for the pavement. Sounds fair. So I got to ask about TourTech. So you're manager of TourTech USA, but TourTech, I guess you're the local affiliate, the local distributor for TourTech, which is based in Germany or something like that? How does that work? TourTech is a German brand. They've got Mm -hmm. 250 employees over in the Black Forest that are doing nothing but creating aftermarket parts for adventure touring motorcycles. You know, crash bars, protection items, GPS mount, the, the aluminum boxes you see on the sides of the motorcycles, the Zega Pro, mm-hmm. panniers, 
and, and that sort of thing. So that's where it's all made. The guys that started the company started it about 20 years ago after doing adventure rides in Africa and just not having the right equipment to do the type of trips that they wanted to do for the distance they were doing on the types of bikes they were riding. And so they slowly started making parts and it became a business. And now it's a 1,668-page catalog for 2012. So I'm just packed with your catalog is lame, Chuck. for adventure touring. How many pages did you say it was? 1,668. Wow. That's, that's Chuck, six, Chuck's catalog is behind the times. He's only got 1,000 pages. I've, I've got the 2010 catalog, and wow, i got to get the new one. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, the new one, uh, it will be hitting the street here in the next month. Where they're actually in a shipping container heading this way from Germany. So, And it will know. leave a crater when it hits the street. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they're big. I, I use my catalog to threaten my three-year-old with if she's bad. <laughs> we uh, call it the ultimate bathroom reader. Yeah, yeah, it's that. And it has nice soft pages, too. Uh-huh. So you said they got their start riding in Africa. Yeah, that is sort of a backyard for Europe. I mean, the, when guys from the States want to do an adventure ride, they go to Mexico or they go maybe to South America or up to Prudhoe Bay in Alaska. The Europeans just hop across the Mediterranean and they go ride in Africa. It's like the main place where you can go off-road and do real adventures. There's a lot of places in Europe where you can't even ride off-road. Germany, for instance, it's illegal to ride off-road unless it's on some sort of private property or something. So they really have very limited off-road riding possibilities. And so they have to go to the south of Spain or eastern Europe or to Africa. And so Africa, it's just such an amazing place to ride, you know, culturally, in terms of the landscape, you know, the, the wildlife. So it's something that they just uh, keep going back and back and they really enjoy. Speaking about the wildlife, I got to ask, did something traumatic happen to the Touratech founders involving elephants? Yeah, there's kind of a story there. Because the, I, I see the catalogs with the elephants. Yeah. I see the yeah. Touratech magazine. There's elephants standing yeah. on boxes, throwing people around, ripping yeah. bikes limb to limb. So Herbert, the founder of Turretech, he has a partner, but he he was he's kind of the figurehead uh, spokesperson for the company. A long time ago, a circus came to town, and they wanted to show off how strong their panniers were. So he went to the circus and said, hey, can we get a photograph of your elephant, you know, with his foot on top of the pannier? And the circus uh, management, they talked about it, and they came back, and they wanted a, uh, a pretty large sum of money to do this. And so Herbert said, well, you know, we, we can't do it. It's not worth it. And so he kind of forgot about it. And then they were riding in Southeast Asia. And they came upon this place that had elephants that were that were trained to do things. And he asked them, hey, can we get a photo of this elephant with his foot on the pannier? And the guy said, yeah, sure, no problem. So they did a little photo shoot and got these photographs that Herbert had wanted to see for years and years of an elephant, you know, resting his foot on the pannier. And, of course, the pannier withstood it and, and, mm-hmm. and the rest was history. And so that's that photograph on the catalog that you see there is from that trip. So they were... Okay. It was just a personal thing that he was excited about. I've, I've seen that very picture, I think, in one of the Turtec magazines. Uh, yeah. And then uh, the crazy thing is that same elephant with a held onto a paintbrush and painted a picture of an elephant on a painting, which Herbert now has hanging in his house. And it's in the little short film that they did, but it's absolutely amazing. This elephant uses his trunk to paint pictures of elephants. Oh, he just wanted a girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> Is that why you've been doing that, Chuck? And these guys are like, here, sit on the box. Yeah. So how much uh, do you send a lot of feedback back to Germany from U.S. customers giving feedback on the gear? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 
So we, we get out there and test it ourselves. We also get a lot of emails from customers and, and things that make sense and that we think are good feedback we send to Germany. Sometimes we were able to just answer it or explain you know the, <clears throat> the product on our end. But uh, yeah, there's a real good channel going back and forth. And oftentimes we will find other brands or products in the marketplace that we think make a lot of sense and we'll kick them over to Germany and Germany will evaluated and oftentimes it'll end up in the catalog. Uh, Nemo Tents is an example of one that sure. we recently yeah. started using. They were supporting some of the backcountry discovery projects we were doing and we liked it, you know, and recommended it to Germany and now Germany's added it to the catalog. So it's good. It's a good communication channel both ways. Do they like send you on retreats where they tell you to, to go overland across Africa or something or into Mexico? To- you know, they... What kind of fringe benefits like that? And uh, it's something that Herbert, the owner, he gets out about two months a year and just does some extended trip. And that's where he he says he clears his mind and really gets perspective on life and business and the product and that. So they do their own. We're just one of 30 distributors around the world. And most all of the distributors are very avid riders and and do their own projects. We lately have been doing these backcountry discovery route projects as our way to get out and, and use the product and test it, but also to create some things that our customers can do to create these routes that we can turn over to the community and try and get other people into the sport that we love so much, which is adventure riding and backcountry motorcycle riding. And you've got, what, two of these backcountry uh, discovery things out now? or? Yeah, we, we did Washington uh, two summers ago, and then this past summer we did the state of Utah, which is where you guys are from, right? Yes, yep. We're actually, uh, this weekend, our local BMW dealer is going to be screening the backcountry discovery Utah thing down at the dealership. That's right. Yeah, uh, Mike. Yeah, the GM down there. We, yes. we set that up with him, and we were very happy to have their support for it. Uh, you know, we always like to have good, strong roots in the local community, and they stepped up to help uh, make this thing possible. And they're very much looking forward to presenting it to the community. It's, it's a he's, lot of fun. Uh, he's quite a character, isn't he? You feel like you're in an episode of Seinfeld when you're talking to him. Yeah, he really is. He wasn't who I pictured, but uh, <laughs> uh, God, he was a riot. Mm-hmm. But yeah, very enthusiastic and just uh, has has a great heart and just wants to serve the motorcycle community and it was really a pleasure meeting him yeah we had to buy a couple masks so we can sneak into the dealership for this for this viewing (laughs) there's there's pictures of us around (laughs) signs you know warning they see the buell roll up and and doors start locking Mm -hmm. speaking of the buell i'm noticing there's a significant lack of buell parts in in your street bike catalog I tried to order some the other day, and they were listed as out of stock. When can you remedy yeah. this situation? Yeah, for me? they when <laughs> we never sold a, really a ton of, of parts for the. You have the Ulysses, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was always a steady mover, but not not big numbers. And then when when they pulled the plug on Buell, uh, yeah. then they they kind of quit making the parts. So I think Buell said the same thing about the numbers. Yeah, they were yeah, okay, but yeah, never. But. Yeah, I think I might have bought your last set of those uh, handguard extenders because okay. I, I destroyed mine in the snow. They were gone. Yeah, <laughs> from the catalog. Well, it was it was sad to lose Buell, but uh, in our segment, we've been blessed with a lot of really interesting new additions to the market in that in that category. You know, and right, when I first the market's started the exploding. It was you know BMW, and there was a couple of KTM's, and that was about it in the adventure segment. You know, of course, the KLR as well. But now, I mean, Triumph and Yamaha, these guys are coming out with some really interesting new offerings, and now there's a lot of choice in the market. 
Yeah, everyone's gunning for the GS there. Yeah, peace. How do you see the market going on on your on your side as a aftermarket? Is it is it blowing up the same kind of way or? Yeah, it's definitely a hot category. Uh, the fact that these other guys are jumping in is is further expanding it. You know, you have a lot of brand loyal people that mm. have seen adventure motorcycling and they're like, "Hey, you know, I'm not into the BMWs. I'm a Yamaha guy." But then when Yamaha comes out with their bike, all of a sudden they think. Huh, that's kind well. of interesting. You know, I've I've always liked the blue bikes, and now now I can maybe dabble in this. The same thing happened with KTM when they came out with the 990. There was a lot of guys that we jokingly say they bleed orange, very brand loyal to KTM. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't have ridden a BMW for for anything, but now with the 990, they're thinking, huh, you know, I've broken my collarbone three times racing enduros. Maybe it's time for me to you know try something else. And so they, they kind of graduate up or graduate down to a, a little more, a little less volatile form of motorcycling. And so we see that expanding the market, you know, that now with Triumph coming out with the Tiger 800 and 800 XC, there's a mm-hmm. lot of people that are jumping onto that that have always the, liked Triumphs. And the so it's, uh, we think it's expanding out. the market. What kind of challenge does that make for TurTech? So, like in the past, like you say, you got your BMW, you got your your KTM. You know, your, your range to support was pretty defined, but now it's like everyone's jumping in, and we don't know year from year will this bike still be there or not, Ulysses? Yeah, I mean, what yeah, kind? We, what, we, what do you guys we have do? To have three times as much inventory for the same size of market. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's <laughs> do you guys like? But yeah, there's there's uh, it's a, it takes a bigger investment on our part, both in the development, the R and D side of things, and also just stocking and serving. It was a lot easier when there was only a couple of different motorcycles to have to deal with. But the upside to it is it's bringing new people into the sport and getting people, you know, to launch into the adventure thing, which we feel so passionate about. And so we're, we welcome it. It's, it's exciting. And it's also interesting to have more choice in the market, to see pretty much these days, whatever you want, there's a bike that's going to be a pretty good fit for that, both from a budget standpoint and, you know, mm-hmm. a power standpoint and some of the other features and things. So it's a pretty exciting time to, to be in the segment. And Touratech will be there to get brushed metal parts ready for it. <laughs> that's right. So would you guys like, Are you, is the Touratech attitude, you know, jump in day one, here's your bash plate, here's your Zegas, strap them on, or is it, you know, let's wait a year to see if this bike proves itself in the market and then kind of start introducing stuff? Most of the bikes that have come to market in the last 12 months, Turatech has jumped in with both feet as soon as they heard the bike was coming. Basically, as soon as they got a, a copy, whether it was an advanced copy or they just had to buy it on the mo- open market like the rest of us, mm-hmm. um, they you know started designing parts right away. So they have been pretty aggressive on that. How close do uh, the manufacturers work with you, you guys? BMW and Turatech in Germany have a fantastic relationship, and so that's been the closest of the relationships. Turatech actually manufactures a lot of the parts that BMW sells at the dealer level. Uh, their aluminum pannier systems are made by Turatech. Some of the skid plates and crash bars and, and a lot of the, the protection items, Turatech basically private label manufactures for BMW. So there's a relationship there. But Turatech also gets prototype versions of the motorcycles and Herbert or whomever will take them to Africa and, and really run them through the paces and give feedback to BMW as well as start thinking about some of the shortcomings on the bikes or the things that someone really needs for adventure touring, whether it be protection or comfort or some ergonomic change or fuel capacity, things like that. So they get early copies and they start putting together a list of parts from there. 
some of the other brands that they don't have quite as close relationship with when the bike comes out and they they buy one or two and then they just go to work uh, developing the parts that they think are there's a need for what do you what, what kind of trends are you seeing in the market i mean i more bikes sure but do you see uh, a shift in what people are getting for the bikes are they getting just panniers and bash plates and let's party or they're starting to move into other kind of unexpected areas you know one of the categories that seems like it's really sort of gone mainstream is gps units on motorcycles i mean mm-hmm. across the board gps usage in in cars and on cell phones now and, and certainly on motorcycles has hit the hits hit the mainstream turtech has been involved with gps from the early days and so we were we were in it when there was really just enthusiasts or or people that would consider themselves technology geeks nerds geeks, uh, <laughs> that were into it but now it's pretty much mainstream and so we're seeing just tremendous growth in in the number of gps units and the you know the mounts and all the other uh, mm-hmm. accessories that go with them so we're seeing that really change is anyone trying to mount like a tablet or an ipad to the to their bike yet yeah, there's been a few customers in us photos. We haven't we have an iPhone bracket, so we actually have a you know a mount for an iPhone mm. that we sell, and that's been really popular. And uh, people have asked about the tablets, but uh, I don't think we're going to do it. But I have seen people so using them in their scary. train bags. And <laughs> I navigate with one in the car sometimes. It just they work so slick. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you do with the, with the iPhone? You know, the glove thing. Do you guys have like a in a preferred method because you know you, you don't get the conductiveness with the gloves yeah i i haven't used one on the mount but what uh, some of the guys in our shop that are uh the geeks the technology guys uh they run bluetooth you know communication systems scala rider type of things in their helmets mm-hmm. and they can actually answer phone calls via okay. the phone right and one of the beauties of having it displayed up there on the handlebar is you can see who's calling so you can decide whether you really need to deal with it or whether it can wait. And so that's or you could read it. text messages that are coming in. Yeah. There's a lot of things you probably can do that you shouldn't do with them. But uh, <laughs> those guys really enjoy that, the seeing, and they can answer calls. And, and, and with the technology on the Scala Riders and things, it's amazing. I'll call some of our staff when they're out doing something, and, and I won't even know they're riding their motorcycle. The sound is, is that good. And uh, like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm on I five. I'm like, oh god, what are you doing answering the phone? Jesus, click. <laughs> what, what, what are you doing? I'm I'm home. I'm sick. I'm in bed. <coughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> how how big is the the U.S. distributor shop? We've got eleven staff members, eleven full time staff members, and you know, this time of year we're shipping out a hundred orders a day. Wow. Are any of them toilet paper holders? <laughs> Uh, we Besides have the one, one I bought, in our catalog, yeah, you do because I bought one. Yeah, yeah, we used it as a prize. We used it as a prize, <laughs> a gag gift. <laughs> it, it was a it was a, a prize for a contest on the show. It was very popular. Oh, well, that's awesome. <laughs> Maybe you know was I bought the only orange? one. It was like orange. Yeah, it was orange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I can picture it. I, I don't know how many of those you sell. Maybe maybe that a lot. Is not the most popular item in the building. It doesn't have I'm brush shocked. <laughs> It needs brushed metal. That's what it is. You need you need to make it out of brushed aluminum. It'll you'll sell yeah. hundreds, yeah. thousands. I think that it, when in the right circumstance, though, it may be the most valuable item in the building. You do need, you know. I'm picturing something that's on a roll that you could attach to the side of one of those side cases, and then you could just reach up and just pull it down. You know, like you're in a yeah. bathroom. Yeah, that would be a value add right there. Or you yeah. pull it and wipe your visor with. <laughs> Hey, wait a minute. I think toilet seat off the side of the pannier. Whoa. Ooh. 
If you do that, you owe us five bucks. <laughs> Can we test that for you? You got it. <laughs> as long as we promise not to send photos. It sounds like you're really involved with, with the scene. One of the things we talk about a lot on this show is that there's sort of this this give and take, right, or or a conflict between the sort of the hardcore guys and the guys who just want to, you know, who aren't hardcore, who just want to ride us, us. Well, so the, the the thing that always comes up is you'll have there's there's this weird sort of gear is the battleground that they choose very often, mm-hmm. and and different sides will choose things like true tech stuff on and off depending on their mood and as far as we can tell the position of the sun and moon. But one of the the continuing criticism that keeps coming up is the notion of you need all this stuff to go on this an adventure. Bigger is big better. Trip. Bigger is better. Right. More yeah. thingies. You need the 1200 GS with, you know, the aluminum panniers mm-hmm. and, and the, the tank bags and the satellite radio yeah. spot tracker. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And there are two things. Number one, Herbert, the founder of Turtec over in Germany, he will be the first guy to tell you when you're looking at a display bike, you don't need everything that's on this bike. You need, you know, whatever you need for the type of riding that you're going to do. But, you know, mm-hmm. you don't need all, all of these things. We don't think that people should only go out on a world adventure if they have every single Turtec item on their bike. We invite our friend Austin Vince to come to Seattle and do a crazy show about, you know, motorcycle riding, adventuring, and, and, and what he did. And he feels strongly that you don't need anything more than a DR350 to ride around the world. And he's absolutely true. You can, you can really do it on anything, and you can do it on virtually any budget. And so we bring him in, and he pokes fun at us, pokes fun at our BMW clientele, and kind of pokes fun at everybody in the room. But it's really interesting, and, and it's true. You, you can do it on just about anything. If, if you have a air-cooled four-stroke 250, and that's what you got, and you've got big plans, do it. Don't let the budget be a barrier, and we believe in that. We also have customers that just really like the R1200GS, and think about it like like buying flowers for your girlfriend. You, you do that because you, you like her and you want to show that. It's the same thing when you have the new motorcycle. You bring it gifts. You farkle it up. You, <laughs> it's how you're, you pay attention to the motorcycle, and it's, it's part of the relationship. And some guys are really into that, and they enjoy that almost as much as riding. And great. It's cool. Some guys build custom choppers that have no real practical purpose they're just something they do because it's cool and they're into it and they really enjoy the process and so it, it can go either way but we just want people out there riding and if uh having mm-hmm. you know high-tech gps gizmos is is what gets them stoked we're happy to help if they want to strap a soft bag on the dr350 and ride around the world with austin vince and his pals cool well i don't know if cool the word out mondo enduro is just this side of torture porn almost yeah <laughs> i mean that was i felt really bad watching that <laughs> I, I kept expecting austin at some point to turn to the camera and be like i'm leaving these guys here <laughs> yeah it's amazing but, i mean it's those guys are hardcore what they did it just gives you a whole different level of respect for for what what they do and oh and, yeah and i know he likes to poke fun at uh ewan mcgregor and mm-hmm. and uh charlie but you know those guys for Hollywood guys getting out and doing what they did. It's awesome. We think we think it's great. And and so whatever whatever angle you have, uh, we we just want people to get out and explore the world on two wheels awesome. with their girlfriend, by which we yeah. mean their GS. <laughs> yeah. You guys got any big exciting riding plans this season? I I've just got big exciting plans to try to make it farther than fifty miles without the bike exploding. Uh oh. 
happened. Sounds like there's a story there. I've, I have I have <sighs> ignition problems of a kind. I'm oh. I'm not entirely sure. Todd claims he's seen fireballs come out of my exhaust. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're thinking we're going to do our usual trip to Durango. We'll probably try to get up to at least one of the uh, shindigs up in the Pacific Northwest because both of us have been there and think it's cool, but haven't really ridden there much. Yeah, there's the uh, rally in the gorge. I'd really like to go check that out. That looked pretty cool. Looks like That's giggles. a good one. We we also are putting on one up in the Leavenworth area in Washington. It's the Turatech Pacific Northwest Adventure Rally. Is that the one That's, with Rawhide? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. One. It's organized and hosted by Rawhide. The Turatech guys lead rides every day, and, and it's one of the best places to, uh, to ride adventure motorcycles that I've ever seen. The roads are just perfect. It's right after the snow melts, before it gets dusty, and it's just fantastic riding. So anybody that can uh, carve out a weekend to come out, it's a great way to do it. You don't have to cook or do dishes or anything. You just show up with your tent. It's camping, it's bonfires, it's entertainment in the evenings, and then guided rides throughout the day, and the Rawhide Chef's uh, Serving up some great food, and of course they open up the da- the Dakar bar about six thirty or seven, so you can have uh, <laughs> cold beverages and swap stories around the bonfire. It's a fantastic time. Wow! Yeah, it's that, pretty it's <laughs> pretty cool. They're doing that, and they I think they have an Arizona one too. They do. Mm. Yes, I get yeah. I, I get the the flyers. Yeah, <laughs> they've got your number, Chuck. They know he Except, bought the paper. He bought the toilet paper thing. He'll buy anything. <laughs> So you guys are are not making plans to to run the Utah backcountry discovery route that's right there in your backyard? Well, we're going to run parts of it, I think, is the plan. The whole whole thing is a bit of an undertaking, and I uh, I may have bought a house. Uh, Well, the the butler guys gave us a copy of the map, Mm -hmm. which is pretty cool. We're going to go watch the movie. Uh, I would love to do it. As Todd will tell you that – I do not have a healthy sense of fear when it comes to taking my bike <laughs> off-road. There was an iceberg incident this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> That's not dirt. <laughs> oh, well. Got to get back on that horse. Yeah. And, you know, and there's that hiking trail that the Beale died on. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I yep. will just go. He's ready to rock. <laughs> <laughs> well, Foolishly, okay. some would say. The beauty of, of the way that the route is constructed, the backcountry discovery routes, are they are basically broken into one-day sections. They're a section that anyone can do in a day. So if you have a day, you can go run a section. If you've got a, a weekend, you can run two. If you've got a holiday weekend, you've got three days, you can go run three or even four sections. So it's scalable, and it's not something that you have to commit to the whole week or, or eight days on the road. Just do you know, do it in pieces if that's what the budget or the time schedule dictates. Yeah, that's a pretty cool project overall. Where are you guys going to go next for with that? We're going to do Colorado Ooh, this, nice. uh, this summer. And as you know, the Butler Maps guys are from Colorado, and a few yeah. of our other volunteers on the Backcountry Discovery Routes board are from Colorado, and so they've already got the route fairly well dialed in. They're going to scout it, re-scout it when the snow melts, make some adjustments, and then we're going to go out and film another documentary of that and hopefully have the GPS tracks up on the Internet for free for the community by fall. Wicked. It seems like Turtec's really big on giving back to the community. I see all the time people posting up about, you know, I'm, I'm going around the world and I stopped in at Touratech USA and these guys are totally cool and help me with this or do that. Do you get a lot of people just, hey, I'm, I'm going around the world and thought I'd stop here kind of thing? We really do. It's funny that some of the some of the world travel world travelers will tell you there's only really one route around the world and it's kind of half joking but half truth that most of the guys that are riding around the world they kind of follow this this common path 
And that path happens to go right through Seattle because most of them are going from the southern tip of Argentina up to Prudhoe Bay, and you just pass right through Seattle. And a lot of them have been into Turitech distributors in other countries as they've made their travels around the world. So it's kind of a you know a safe zone, a safe post where they know they can walk in and we'll we'll get them, we'll understand them, we'll do whatever we can to help them. Sometimes it's just you know a sticker and a cup of coffee and a handshake and and sharing up some stories. Other times they arrive on the doorstep with a broken motorcycle and we have to take them in and they're set up their tent in the warehouse and they're living in the tent in the warehouse while they're rebuilding a motorcycle. It, it uh, <laughs> usually we will do whatever it takes. We had a gentleman from Israel that had been out for two and a half years and he he kind of rolled into Seattle late uh, last summer. I guess it was actually almost winter. On an HP2, and he was a diesel mechanic by trade, and he put it in the shop there, and he tore that thing down and completely rebuilt it. He was with us for almost a month. We got him back on the road, and, and off he went to, to uh, Australia. Wow, that's like almost mascot status. Yeah, it was neat. But yeah, we get to meet a lot of really interesting and, and nice folks. All of the world travelers that we've come across are just great, and we're, we're, it's, just, uh, it's an honor for us to be able to help them continue on their journey. So, you know, we're jealous about their life experiences. Sometimes we'll talk them into giving a slideshow, or even if it's just you know, us sitting around mm-hmm. the, the lunch table and you know, mm-hmm. showing us photos from where they've been. It's just the ultimate inspiration for us, so it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. I lived in a warehouse for you know, a few weeks. That's because you're a bum, Chuck. <laughs> it would have been fine if the security guys weren't watching the cameras that day. <laughs> you see that story that came out of Japan? So this this guy living in an apartment, right? He would come home or wake up in the morning every day. Stuff would be moved. Food would be eaten. Mm-hmm. Just weird stuff like that. And he was like, obviously thought he had one of those weird ghosts. So he put up security, little mini cameras in his apartment. When he went back and watched the tapes, he saw a cupboard open and a girl crawl out. Oh, wow. <laughs> used the bathroom, ate some food, and then while he's watching the tapes, she crawls back in. Wow. <laughs> Imagine the phone call to the police at that point. <laughs> and yeah, she was there. She was living there. She was this homeless chick who'd been living in his apartment for about a month in the cupboard. Tech has adventure guys in their cupboards. <laughs> you know, the worst, the worst thing that we had was uh, a homeless person came in the front door, came into our lunchroom to open the refrigerator, found a frozen burrito, put it in the microwave, and was microwaving a burrito. <laughs> By the time someone walked in and found her there cooking a burrito. He just looked like an around-the-world rider. No, the only way you can tell he's not an around-the-world rider, he didn't have a bike. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> So there, there's your pro tip, folks. Just show up at the tour tech thing, talk about riding around the world, and, and you know, Over get there. Over burrito. <laughs> Paul's like, no, not really. <laughs> that was all I had for lunch. <laughs> the homeless guy got the burrito. So you got your, your backcountry things, your big project. What else kind of exciting stuff should we see or expect to be coming out of tour tech? What, what, what do you want to tell us about? Coming soon. Oh, man. Yeah, parts for a Euro? Sidecar? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, we don't. Austin, maybe Austin will talk us into making someone who's up here uh, Sorry, next Todd. month. But uh, now we have not done much with the Ural. The thing's so perfect, I don't know how you would improve it. <laughs> ah, see? Uh-huh. <laughs> Lies. It's already adventure When you ram a V-Strom in the garage with it, the Ural doesn't get hurt at all. <laughs> I, I heard. Aren't you missing a fingernail from the Ural? Uh, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Universal joints are not to be trifled with. <laughs> 
I guess. Well, you asked me what's what's new. I guess the big thing this year for us is rapid trap top cases. We have the Zega Pro panniers that have been around for, for years, and we now have a top case version that just snaps into place, and then quickly mm. you, can, you can detach it. And that's something that our friends in California have been asking us to make for, for years and years because they like to lane split down there, and they don't like the big boxes on mm, the side right. of the motorcycle when oh. they're feeding to work and such. So... We have two different sizes. The large one, you can lock a full helmet inside of it, which is, is great. And if you don't need it, you can just quickly pop it off the bike. And they, like our panniers, they come in a raw aluminum or an anodized silver finish or an anodized black finish. And those anodized finishes on the panniers and on the top cases have been very popular the last couple of years. Also about Californians, they're lazy. <laughs> Well, I, I am. They have incredible riding weather and good roads. Jealousy. <laughs> Mexico, where they can just shoot down to Baja and go do some proper desert riding. Speaking of Baja, do you guys sponsor teams for the big races down there or just kind of assume everybody's going to have some TourTech bits and bobs? You know, we've put our, our uh, limited budget into the Dakar Rally. It's in in mm-hmm. the last two years, we supported oh, Jonah yeah. Street. I don't know if you guys heard, it was just announced today that he is the Top One Oil distributor for the United States. Mm-hmm. Top One Oil is a company that has have sponsored him for the last five years for all of his Dakar Rally efforts. They, like us, just think so much of Jonah. He's just such a, a good guy and, and just, you know, salt of the earth kind of guy that they decided they wanted to have him head up the distribution in the United States for their brand. They're, they're actually wow. based here, but they've always been an export company, so they have really strong distribution in Southeast Asia and in South America, and they haven't really done much with the U.S., and so they just retained Jonah and Jonah Street Racing to distribute Top One Oil for the United States. He just you know retired this year from, from racing after uh, his motor quit on, I think, day two or three of the Dakar Rally, and, mm-hmm. and so he's started a new chapter in his life, and he's really excited about it. I spoke to him by phone this morning as he was rolling out the news and it's pretty exciting so we're we're going to try and help him be successful as a businessman now and uh we just were so grateful to be involved with him the last two years for the dakar rally it's just so much fun to see what goes into it and to follow the race when you you know got uh, you know a connection with one of the riders mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well even if you don't i mean the that the dakar race is just it's it, i mean it's overwhelming to to try to take it all in or even follow it's just uh it's a nutty i i want to go down there yeah <laughs> I, I i would wash out like you know the first 10 minutes but <laughs> it's amazing the more you learn about it the more unbelievable that race is just the the, the sheer hours and the, the the distances and the difficulty of the terrain mm-hmm. and how heavy the bikes are and the logistics the fundraising i mean everything about it it's a it's a year-long project Mm-hmm. And even for the good guys, it's tough. I mean, Jonah always struggled with trying to raise enough money to. In, in the U.S., it's just tough. It's tough to raise the money to field a team, to fund a team. And over in Europe, you know, they have million-dollar budgets. So he's racing against guys that have air-conditioned, you know, sleeper vans, and you know, a doctor, <laughs> a trainer, a chef, a, you know, three mechanics, R and D team. And it's right. and you got Jonah who's putting his motorcycle together in the garage, you know, with the extension cord running the light out to the to the shed and it's it's just not a fair fight you know so even though he was one of the fastest guys in the world and an incredible navigator just was always an uphill battle with the funding and with trying to put together a team because none of the companies in the in the u.s want to invest in that because it's not very popular you go to spain 
and 88% of the Spanish population watches one hour or more of Dakar coverage each year. Wow. So it's like the Super that's, Bowl, you know, over there. It's that's a crazy. huge, huge audience in here. People, most people don't know about it. Yeah, no one knows about it here and no one pays attention to it. What, what do you guys, what's your involvement? What's TurTech do? Or TurTech USA or is it just, or TurTech as a whole? Well, for the Dakar? Yeah. You know, TurTech as a whole has made the rally kits over the years and sponsored numerous teams and they've actually, you know, built complete bikes and, you know, sent mm-hmm, the trucks yeah. and really been involved. For us, we, uh, TurTech USA, Jonah is a Washington native. He, he lives about an hour and a half from our shop. And so we just got connected to him just on a personal level, local. He basically gave us the opportunity to be involved. And so mainly we were involved in fundraising and in, okay. in promoting, you know, Jonah and some work on the bike, sourcing parts and, and helping him get the bike put together. You know, we would go do some test rides with him and create videos to share with the community. We did a little Q&A thing where guys on ADB Rider posted questions, and then we asked Jonah the questions and filmed him, you know, talking about the response and, and things like that. But mainly it was just pure support, just getting him to the finish line. Very cool. So get him to the start line. He just got to the finish line. Good save. start line, which we did. <laughs> they didn't have a Turtec helicopter that picked him up every day, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. But it's cool. He, I think he's going to actually be at this, this adventure rally we're doing out in Leavenworth. He's going to be doing some navigation training there with a few clients that basically helped fund him getting to Dakar. And, and as a thank you, he's doing a little private rally navigation two-day training with them, and it's going to be run in conjunction with, with our rally, so he'll be there. So if any folks want to uh, hang out around the campfire and ask Jonah what it's like to ride bikes fast in the desert like he does, he'll be there. <laughs> I was reading, it was talking about a, a, what would have been a new product that looked like a GPS, but was really stripped down and almost looked like it was um, real basic, just arrows. It almost looked like a, like a road book. Yeah, except in a GPS, the, tri- the trippy. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know that's something the folks in Germany, Turtec Germany, are real excited about. It's very popular over there, and yeah, it's basically like a digital roll chart kind of thing where you can create okay. routes and share routes, and and they're really into it there. And it's something that's popular here. It hasn't got very much traction. We haven't mm-hmm. really used the trippy ourselves. I like the idea. I love navigating with a roll chart. Not that I'm any good at it, but uh, some of the events that we put on or that we're involved with, we do a roll chart navigation. It's just a lot of fun to be Mm -hmm. riding and trying to read the roll chart and trying to navigate. And it's just a whole different uh, game, I guess, mentally. You know, it's one thing to ride a motorcycle or to ride a motorcycle fast, but to try and ride a motorcycle navigate, read a roll chart, take in the terrain and think, do some mental math on intelligent things. It's really challenging. Do you think the, the rallies, the races like the car and stuff, are they going to move to an electronic format like that versus the paper charts? Boy, I doubt it. You know, I'm not, I, I'm definitely not an expert in that field, but I think the, the paper roll charts are, are something that we'll continue to see. There's a lot of electronics on the bikes that people don't really know or understand. I mean, they actually have GPS on those bikes, but right. it's not like the GPS that you and I use where it shows arrows of where we're supposed to go. It's a blank screen. It knows where it is and it knows where the target is and it doesn't turn on until they're within 800 meters of the target. Then it will come live and it'll show them the target and then they can zero in on it and find oh, it. Wow. But most of the, or, you know, all of the navigation up until they get into 800 meters is purely paper compass headings and reading the terrain and reading the road book. It's absolutely amazing that these guys can, can do it. Way cool. Well, Paul, I really appreciate you being on with us. 
Yeah, it was my pleasure, guys. Uh, it was a lot of keep up the good work. We're excited to see some more episodes from you guys. Or oh, cool! Some more Thank episodes, you. Yeah. Can we get some webisodes, free stuff? Whatever you call them. What do you guys call them? Podcasts, webisodes? Podcasts, podcast Podcasts, episodes, okay. yeah. Free stuff. Send us free stuff. We want some free yeah. stuff. What are you trying to say, Chuck? Free stuff. <laughs> Send it before you listen to other episodes. <laughs> you guys have fun at the premiere down there at the BMW dealer? <laughs> Will do. Try not to ruin the show. Right, Don't thanks. spoil the ending. I want it to be a surprise for everybody. There's a surprise? Yeah, the dinosaur. Oh, sorry. All right, cool. Well, thanks a lot, Paul. Yeah, yeah, guys. Uh, Take care. Have a good one. Hey, take it easy, man. Well, that that went better than expected. I have a sudden desire to buy things made of brushed aluminum. Mm. And when they send them to you now, they're going to send them with... Dense. <laughs> Dense. <laughs> They're going to listen to old episodes of this show and go, oh, yeah? <laughs> no, that's cool. I really, I, I like the, I get a great vibe there. And I frankly, I love the fact that here you've got this merchant of these incredibly expensive, <laughs> you know, things for the bike. But he's like, yeah, you know, if you don't need them, don't buy them. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, wow. Hey, it, that's cool. If you can, if you can afford them and you want them, yeah, knock yourself out. He'll sell them to you. Your girlfriend will love it. <laughs> By which we don't actually mean your girlfriend. Your girlfriend will not love it if you buy two or ten stuff for your bike. <laughs> Pro tip: your wife or your girlfriend will not be happy. What if your girlfriend's the one on the GS? Oh, she'll love it. Yeah. Okay. So there you go. Because you know, I'm thinking of uh, Colleen. She would love it if, mm-hmm. if you yep. if you showed yep. up with uh, tour tech stuff. It's a good point. If your girlfriend is on a GS, buy tour tech stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If your girlfriend is not riding or your wife is not riding, and you buy the tour tech stuff, don't don't give it to them like a present. They won't be happy. Oh, you know what else won't make them happy? What's that? If you buy them a vacuum cleaner for their birthday. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that being a problem. That's a really bad idea. Don't do it. Don't do it. Too late. <laughs> So we got a pretty good what if this week, too. Okay, yeah, this is from my friend Charlie. Okay, what if you're out in the boonies and you notice your riding buddy's tire, spelt the British way, is on cords? I'm assuming he mean, doesn't mean bungee cords. No, no, I think he means the uh, tread of the tire is gone and there's cords showing through. Oh, I think TurkTech makes a product for that. <laughs> Just because they were on the show doesn't mean we have to stop making fun of them. It totally did. No, it doesn't. <laughs> I bet it involves brushed aluminum. But this actually happened to me, and I was not the guy seeing my buddy with the cords. It you were was, the guy I was with the guy the with the cords. John immediately began honking his horn frantically and pointing. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> what can you do? I mean, you're I, if you're stuck out there somewhere, you're you're not going to pull over and say, "Well, I better call a tow truck." Yeah, that that would certainly be one option. I mean, ride. That is an that is certainly the safest option. Mm-hmm. Ride very carefully home. I guess. Yeah, I think I'd just slow way to hell down. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. you know, maybe 30, 40. Yeah. yeah and just yeah. nurse at home. Yeah, that's a tricky one. Because, you know, even if you're on cords, uh, you know. <laughs> There's something left. I guess the, the, this one is one of those classic, like, the prevention is everything. Yeah, you look at your bike before Look you at go. your damn tire once in a while, asshat. <laughs> so what happened to you? I didn't look at my damn tire. <laughs> I, I, I limped it home and promptly went and got a new tire on the back. What's, what's that thing you MS instructors keep harping about? T-clocks. Yeah, that thing. T-clocks, the, the inspection thingy. You're supposed to do that, like, every week or something or, like, every ride or – yeah. I don't know. Do we need to call Claire and ask him? I wasn't an MSF instructor at the time. <laughs> oh, is that your excuse? Yes. Hey, wait, wait, wait. And they let you be one? Well, they didn't know about that. <laughs> Dale, are you listening? <laughs> Very dangerous. <laughs> Not to be trusted. <laughs> well, he knew that. Yeah, well, you know. So, yeah, if your your bike's on cords, I mean, uh, I would probably keep going, but I, I would 
go home. Go immediately home and go really, really slow-ish. Yeah. Yeah, I could say that that was pretty much what I did. I, I went, took her easy and just kind of went home. I mean, essentially what we did with my bill exploding. Yeah. Yeah, you just take her easy and go home. You know, half the time you're in the breakdown lane mm-hmm. hoping to God. The truck doesn't rear end you. No, hoping to God that this is the time where the damn thing just won't start. I was behind you cheering, (laughs) going, die, just die, just fucking die. I wanted it to die so bad just so I could have an excuse to cuddle you on the back of your strom. I mean, leave it there. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to hack the strom. (laughs) Just just against this possible eventuality. It was a no cuddling operation. See, I, I think I think this one's a this is a preventative what if. If you get to the point of the what if where you've got cords showing in your tire and you're not at home, you've already screwed the pooch. All right, now back to his question. Mm. If it's your friend, like, mm. what do you I mean? I think I'd honk my horn and make sure they know about it and tell them maybe you should go home. Mm. Okay. You know, and, and I guess I'd like follow them at a generous distance, uh, and, you know, <laughs> with the GoPro running. Because I mean, it'll mostly, it'll probably, if you go slow and careful, be okay. Yeah, it'll probably be okay, but it is a pretty giant risk. Yeah, there, there is some, there is some added risk there because that means there, those cords that, that that's telling you, hey, you don't uh, really have any tire left. Yeah, this is this is it. These this cords, <laughs> enjoy. I guess what it probably doesn't mean is now you just have to do corners entirely, mm-hmm. solely because yeah. you know. You got all that rubber. It could also it could also mean, hey, time to do burnouts. Because <laughs> who cares at this point? <laughs> Let's just get through it and <laughs> call the tow truck. That, yeah. Hey, there you go. You can uh, do burnouts until the tow truck shows up. Yeah. So you have some fun and, and the tow truck shows up and you have a legitimate excuse. Well, look, there's just no. Well, I was doing giant smoky burnouts. <laughs> and, you know, I'm so extreme. <laughs> See all the rubber on the road? I'm, tr- I'm so rad. <laughs> So rad. <laughs> there you go. There you have a way to preserve your masculinity and do the safe, smart thing at the same time. I like it. That's, I think it's a solid combo. You get cords, do burnouts. Burnouts until the tow truck shows up. Fucking golden. Wheeler's tip of the week. So somebody <laughs> sent you some uh, videos of the Triumph Scrambler ripping it up. Yeah, a, a few people sent me this video. I don't know why. You, you think they? I need a new bike? Yes. I, I wasn't done with the joke. I told my wife that... I thought it was the ignition system, and you could totally swap it out, and it'd be fine. She cuts me off halfway through the sentence and says, "No, he needs to get a different bike." <laughs> My wife is mad at you. <laughs> oh, why now you've she, done it. Why is she mad at me? I like her. <laughs> Damn it. Well, you know, John's like, if we're ever gonna go anywhere, you have to tell me what bike you're bringing ahead of time, and I have like full option to just tell you to go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's fair. <laughs> By the way, Chuck, I think we need to check up on the state of our current survey. Todd posted this survey. If you haven't already seen it, we have a survey of what Chuck should buy. So far, the current winner is a tie between Ratbag V-Strom and Unnecessarily Different KTM. You know, I'm going to say you weighted these options a little bit. What do you mean? Unnecessarily expensive Beamer. Unnecessarily different KTM. More Buell, which is just unnecessary in and of itself. (laughs) Why not say unnecessarily geeky V-Strom? Well, it's a rat bag. Well, yeah, but that sounds kind of cool. Yeah, I know. Unnecessarily, that sends the wrong message. Uh-huh. Bike Van with a Viking mural has two votes. Yeah, it's got some love. Yeah, two votes. Two votes for Van with a Viking. People like the urls a little bit. Yeah. And oddly, a number of people saying more Buell. I just want all you people who have said more Buell to say, no, <laughs> no. Six votes. I mean, it needs some more. Speaking for all of Chuck's friends who ride with him, no. <laughs> 
Well, you know, like one of the guys said, you know, if you get a good one, it's a great bike. You just had a, a bad one and, you know, shame on you because you are a complete and total idiot. It's a big if. I'm kind of reading in between the lines there, mm-hmm. but, you know, yeah. that's, that's essentially what he said. Thanks <laughs> for that. So make sure to pop onto our page. Yeah, Joshua, thanks and for that. And vote. You're, you're not For Chuck's friend. next bike. No, no love there for a fellow Buell guy. Come on. <laughs> See, that's, you know, that's the thing. You know, something goes wrong with the Buell and they just they turn on you. They, mm-hmm. they, they yeah. eat you. Yeah, yeah. It's your fault. Uh-huh. The abusive girlfriend thing. Yeah. Joshua's punching me in the eye and telling me I like it. You know how many times the rat bag v has left me stranded? No. Zero. How many times has the Buell eaten my fingernails? <laughs> oh, zero. Hey, what's wrong with your finger? <laughs> that was uh, There was an incident involving the universal joint on the Ural. Uh-huh. So here's a, here's a tip for everybody who's working on bikes that have universal joints that are, say, running the sidecar wheel. Get someone else to do it? No. <laughs> Just because the sidecar wheel isn't powered doesn't mean it's not made of metal in the universal joint. And if your finger gets in there, even with no force, it will still smash it. I it's And it feels every bit as awesome as it sounds. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. So watch where your fingers are around universal joints, kids. Oh, God. Listener mail. Listener mail. So Chris writes, Hey guys, listening to your latest episode, talking about the guy who crashed and riding with dissimilar riders. I make a very, very clear point at the beginning of the group ride. I ride at my own pace. I'll be faster than some of you. I'll be slower than some of you. Don't try to keep up with me and I won't try to keep up with you. If you crash keeping up with me, you fucked up. If I crash keeping up with you, I fucked up. I don't stop for that kind of fuck up and I don't expect you to either. Let's just have fun. It sounds arrogant and like a major asshat, but ultimately, I don't care. I'm out to enjoy the ride, not babysit people who know they're in over their head. At this point, Chris proceeds to sex the hottest girlfriend in the group in front of her emasculated boyfriend, and then he eats a beehive, with the bee still inside. Well, that is the manly way to eat, honey. Damn right. Wow. That's a long speech to give. That is. I'd get bored halfway through. Like, what? Sorry, I was was, uh, was stuck in this universal drink. (laughs) I'd be like, I'm sorry, I'm still trying to start my bike. <laughs> I couldn't hear you over the backfire. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it, I, I guess this, this is the extreme version of the the ride your own ride. That's that's a pretty. He, there is no. This is this is picking someone up and being like, ride your own ride, comma asshole. <laughs> I'm thinking Chris rides with a lot of billies. Could be, yeah. If he has to. Put this kind of speech in the front of, the, of a group ride. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he must have some serious billies. He, he's getting – he's got some friends. <laughs> I mean, wow. And you, and you know, this well, this is Chris from The pot, the Pace. Mm-hmm. So I can totally hear this speech in his voice. But he doesn't – I'm trying – I can't make it – I can't sink because he has such a calm, soothing voice. <laughs> is it really Chris from The Pace? It is. All right. Our next one comes from Fred who writes – Gentlemen, I enjoy your – I don't know who's – I think you already sent this to the wrong podcast. Yeah, yeah. You <laughs> stop someone. I enjoy your podcast having just discovered it a couple of weeks ago. Hey, thanks for finding us. I am listening to the newest and cherry-picking through the older episodes. Just finished listening to the robot invasion from last summer and heard you discuss armor that stiffens as it is engaged in an impact. Armadillo makes a product called D30. TM. That is a fairly soft armor that is apparently CE certified. TM. EN 1621-1. TM. That is said to stiffen on impact and provide perfection. There are some very interesting videos on their website. We'll throw up the link. And uh, here's the cool thing. Armadillo is a scooter-oriented gear maker. No kidding. 
I have owned one of their jackets for a couple years now. It's very warm, waterproof, comfortable, and presumably protective. I haven't had an incident where I've needed the services of the armor, but I have had my son smack me in the shoulders with a helmet, and it seemed to work reasonably well. I, there are so many questions. I will make a full disclosure report when and if I have an incident with the jacket on. I write a genuine Stella two-stroke, a 1972 Honda CB175, and I'm working on a 1973 CB350. Easy there, Trigger. This guy is your people. <laughs> So far, I've infected my 20-year-old and the 14-year-old. Wants to ride so bad, he can taste it and hits me with a helmet, apparently. <laughs> That's how bad he wants it. <laughs> he doesn't hesitate to remind me that he can get his temps in November this year. Just think, in another 13 years, your daughter will be getting a license. Yeah, it seems relatively far off. I'm not too worried yet. Does that vein in your forehead always pulse like that? Shut up. <laughs> Armadillo scooter wear. So they've got this, these, uh, these, it's a funny thing about these jackets I'm noticing is the jackets don't really look like motorcycle jackets. No, they're, they look like regular jackets, mm-hmm. but, uh, they've got their removable D30 mm-hmm. TM. TM impact protection, elbow and shoulder on underarm vents, pocket told your MP3 player, waterproof outer pocket, uh, ergonomic adjustable hood. I mean, it looks like it's made for riding. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, it doesn't – I mean, it's very loose, it looks. It's not uh, – Yeah, funny. I mean, because the thing with, like, riding gears, you don't – you kind of want it to be form-fitting. Well, you want it to hold the armor in place. That's the key thing. I was actually reading an interesting thing about armor and slide protection. Mm-hmm. So on the track, you want a lot of that uh, protection against the friction because you're sliding a whole long ways. Mm-hmm. On the street, you're never going to slide that far because you're going to fucking you're gonna hit something. something. <laughs> <laughs> so the armor becomes very, very important on the street. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, abrasion protection marginally less so because most street accidents are happening in the 30s, generally speaking, in terms of speed. So you're going to fall. You're going to bounce off the ground. You're going to slide a little ways and you're going to hit a lamppost, car, other bike, mm-hmm. mailbox, whatever. And in this case, elbow and shoulder, is that pretty much it looks like where their armor is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'd be I'd, – I'd, I'd want a back protector I think at the least. But yeah. That's what I'm thinking mm-hmm. first thing is I'd want yeah. a back protector of some sort or even a pocket optional, you know. Sure, yeah. Totally. It's, it's a cool-looking jacket. Yeah, it is a cool-looking jacket. It looks uh, looks for all the world like a ski parka, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. They call it a parka. Mm-hmm. So I guess, you know, the idea with the scooter wear is they figure you're going 30 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. You're going slow in the city and you need a little protection but not tons. Mm-hmm. Interesting mm-hmm. idea. I think I think it's a it's – a, I don't think it's a terrible idea. Certainly one of the things about motorcycle gear is the, the – if you're going to work in it and it looks dorky, it's somewhat problematic. <laughs> Not that it ever stopped me for anything. You know. Well, we are doing a show called Nerds. Good point. They have a video uh, demonstrating this D30 armor. Oh, wow. So he's like molding it like Play-Doh. And then when he hits it with a hammer, the hammer just bounces but, off. Right. And then there's a bunch of people elbowing a wall. <laughs> Not as a impressive. A bunch of <laughs> hip young people elbowing walls. See, they need to get Fred and his son beating him with a helmet. Dunk, 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 dunk. Well, I like it. Hopefully we'll see more stuff like that because certainly a, a nice flexible armor that actually is good armor would be pretty swell. Right. You know, it'd be kind of interesting if we could get like uh, Arrow Stitch or Gazi from Tees and ask them what they think of this, you know, if, if there's a direction for this in the motorcycle world. Mm-hmm. Totally. I mean, the stuff CE certified to some degree of whatever that number stands for. For the scooter wear, I kind of like it. Yeah, the whole thing with scooter wear, my only real complaint is that, let's be honest, a scooter is a motorcycle. Yeah, and especially... You know, I, I don't know how it is because this is a European mm-hmm. uh, manufacturer, at least in the States. I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to want a freeway-worthy scooter. 
So I can see myself doing, you know, 65, 70 miles an hour on a scooter. Well, even 40 miles an hour on a scooter, which you don't need a super big scooter to do. Well, yeah. Okay. It's still going to hurt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Neat idea. I, I have reservations about it, but I, I like it on principle. You know, this, and this could be reaching the market of people who aren't. Mm-hmm. Riders, you know, that's a good point. They're not the gear whores like we are. Mm-hmm. You know, Claire saw me on on the Thruxton, yeah, in my tees, yeah, and he was like, you know, when you're in that suit on that bike, the bike looks so minuscule under you. <laughs> <laughs> it's like watching a clown riding a bicycle. <laughs> I was just like, I know, Chuck. I got to be honest with you. When I see you riding the Buell on that thing, it's like a clown riding a bicycle that doesn't run very well. Shut up. <laughs> it does not not run. And you are not not going to tell me what you learned. I didn't not learn that brushed aluminum can be cool. I learned that anodized is coming on strong. And that's all <laughs> we got time for this week. Until next time, I'm Todd. And I'm Chuck. Ride safe, everyone. We'll see you next week. If you like this podcast, you can find more like it at wheelnerds.com. This has been a Wheel Nerds production, all rights reserved. Readings from other sources are the property of their respective owners and are used with satirical intent.